and welcome to the Who You Own podcast where I, Kira Bridge-McLean, chat to very stylish folk about their relationship with clothes and fashion over the years. This week's conversation is shocking and moving and profound and hilarious, but I would expect nothing less from comedian, actor and writer Sindhu V. This episode was recorded in May of 2021. Sindhu was at home in London and I was sat on the floor giving myself a dead leg in my walk-in wardrobe. Um, I always feel so self-aware when I say walk-in wardrobe, but um, I think it's what other people would call a junk room or a box bedroom, just in case you think I'm a Tory. Uh, I think you're all familiar with Sindhu, but I don't think you'll be familiar with this side of her. She is spectacularly open, and as a result, we talk about grief and bereavement, so just a heads up about that. This is a really special listen, so take some time to yourself for this one, because you are not prepared for where this chat goes. As I ask Sindhu V, who are you wearing? My first memory and it's not a visual memory, it's like a knowledge memory, is being in probably kindergarten in a, at the American school in the Philippines. So I must have been five, five and a half, six, max. Mm. It's what in this country they call reception. Yeah. And my memory is there's twins. So everyone in the class was white, except there was a boy called Mustafa, who I still know. Uh, who was from Pakistan, and there was me who was from India, and we fought all the time. Was, Pakistan is better. No, India is better. No, Pakistan is better. And everyone <laughs> was like, well, what are you talking about? Everyone else was white. They were very international. There was twins, Abby and Mandy, and they had pink ribbons in their hair, and they had blonde hair, and they wore matching dresses, and they had like socks with a frill, and they had those kind of Mary Jane shoes, and they looked like their mother loved them. <laughs> I became aware of clothes because my mother, even though she loved me, behaved like she hated me <laughs> because I wore a like four for 10 pesos kind of like four T-shirts for 10 pesos from like a flea market, not, not, not a flea market, but like a street market. Mm-hmm. And it had a red, there was a, it, it was a white T-shirt and it was red on half red and half blue and the red bit had polka dots and they were bought for my sister who was older and then I wore the when they became hand-me-down but because my sister was so much larger than me they never fit I wore shorts from the supermarket jelly sandals from the supermarket and underwear that was my sister's and had been handed down was too big so I used to have to hold my underwear with my left hand I looked like a have you seen that movie, um, Slumdog Millionaire? <laughs> yes. The slum part, you know, where those little brown kids are <laughs> scrawny and they're like really full of life, but they're slum. I looked and I had like short boy hair. I looked like a slum dwelling. I was so dark in the sun. I was like a dark little slum, slum dwelling skinny kid. And then there was Abby and Mandy. Wow. And I became aware then of the power of clothes to portray that we are loved, Mm. that that we are have that you walk into a room, you have power. You look like somebody. And then you have people who walk into a room and everyone Mm. is like, What the fuck happened to you, dude? (laughs) Are you from the slum? I have such a strong memory of feeling, not maybe articulating it like that, 
but feeling deranged with shame wow. about how I looked. Of course, of course. You're all, you, you, could you be othered in any more ways than that? Um, and I say all this with a great deal of compassion for myself as that five-year-old, from a great deal of understanding of my mother and a great deal of joy because I am one of the people that had that experience and by the grace of God was able to come out owning it. Many, many people don't. And mm-hmm. so it's not to say that, oh, you should put your kids through that because then they'll be strong. No, they might break. All I can tell you is for whatever reason, and that's mm-hmm. why I say the grace of God, I came out, I owned it. It took me years because alongside that, when we came back to India, I was told that I was very ugly because I was dark and tall and it was horrific. I was told every day, you're so ugly, who's going to marry you? You're so ugly, who's going to marry you? You have to get good grades, you're so ugly. So it was, I, the amount of therapy, hello, the amount of therapy where I've had to like understand what this meant. Um, and I, yeah, so all of these things, you know, so yeah, I have very early memory of what clothes and how you look, how you dressed means and meant. Um, and then I've had a series of experiences in my life where I brought that awareness to bear on it. I was, I, I, um, I, um, by, I was asked to model once in India on a, a, to open a live show and it was a very big deal. And it, they just, they just saw me somewhere and said, and they were, it was, a, it was, it was a French fashion house and they'd come to India for the first time. And so I, there I was, it was like, I was the bell of the ball, but in my mind, I was, I, I, I don't have a single photograph. I didn't want to know because I felt so unattractive. I felt like it was a joke and I couldn't own it. And the clothes were so fabulous and great. And I was, I had always been told you're very ugly and, you know, st- like minimize yourself. You're too tall. You're too dark. You're too. So when that came for me, a 2% of a part of my brain said, you're not ugly. These people wouldn't have picked you. But 98% was like, this is the worst joke ever. You've got to stay the fuck away from this. Never, ever, ever believe this shit. And then fast forward many more years. And I'd lived in the West a long time by then. And people, you know, I didn't feel quite as, or I rather, I did think my height was an asset and my hair was an asset. Because I had very long hair, Kiri, very long. Then I joined banking. Banking is all about power suits and power and, you know, and it was interesting because I had a lot of power suits and I wore heels, but I never felt like I belonged. I did very well and I loved it, but I had been doing philosophy and banking was sort of a, I'd gotten into it more. So I had paperwork to stay in the West and I wasn't necessarily very good at it. Like I wasn't smart and I didn't really care about making more money. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I loved it, but you know, I wasn't good at it. So all the power suits in the world couldn't have helped. Um, mm. And on Dress Down Friday, when everyone wore branded clothes, I would wear a shawl and Indian flip-flops and really casual clothes and walk around barefoot on the trading floor. And I think it was very much because I was trying to assert who I am. And I'm not a very... I'm. I might have clothes that are expensive or have a brand, but I'll never be like, oh, here's the brand. It's because those clothes work and they might be vintage. They Mm. might be secondhand or they just might be something I bought in India 30 years ago, you know. 
So I think that's another time when I realized mm. that clothes and our relationship to clothes and the power that clothes can give you only exists in your mind. It doesn't exist externally, mm. which is not to say you shouldn't be powerful in clothes or wear Armani suits. It's just don't expect the Armani suit to give you that confidence. It can help some. Yeah. And then I like... think it's from then on that I, um, mm. you know, that I really pursued this. Because for me, what I wear and how I look and who I am and how I feel are also integrated because as a girl being raised to have an arranged marriage, I was, I was, I had, you know, I was a terrible basket of ingredients. I was too tall. I was too dark. I was, you know, this, that I told too many jokes. My mother used to say, when the boy comes, don't tell the jokes. Last boy who talked to you, he complained <laughs> to his mother that you told him favorite fl flavor of ice cream is stupid. He said his favorite flavor of ice cream was pistachio. I was like, what? What is the matter with you? That's disgusting. <laughs> and, my and he went back to his mother and said, she's not serious. She talked about ice cream. So you're in this school and there's a perfect little, sounds like shining twins that are, are they having there. And you've got your bits from the market and bits from supermarkets and hand-me-downs. But what was your, what was your style as a kid? Did you have a strong sense of style? Were you like, I want to wear that? Or you're like, just shove something on and then I can get on with my day. No, dude, I didn't have that much agency. My mother chose my clothes till I was 18. What wow. are you saying? I didn't have that much agency where I had style. It was like my style was don't get beaten up because of what your mom made you wear. <laughs> that was my style. So till 18, mom was making used the clothes. To, yeah, like I could wear what I wanted to college, but I couldn't really, like if we had to go anywhere, I couldn't really, you know, um, be like, oh, I want to wear this. Mom chose my clothes. But that's, it wasn't that unusual, really. But okay, so here's a couple of pictures I'll show you. This is me when I'm one and a half. And I had a ceremony they do for little, you can see all the coconut and everything. But I liked flowers. So can you see this? Can you see oh, this? There's me gosh. with a flower in my hair. So gorgeous. So I guess I liked flowers. <laughs> that's me. Mommy used to say, you're always putting flowers in the hair. Um... But this is how my mother dressed me up. So this is my sister's birthday, which I've taken over because I'm a fucking pain in the ass. Oh, yes. You but look gorgeous. I look deranged, <laughs> by the way. But that's my sister's dress, which I got to wear. Um, and then, so I didn't really have style. I just wore, I just wore what they told. But my mom had so much style. Oh, by the way, remember that T-shirt I told you? Yes. So my mom had them in all the sizes. Here's my sister and me. And my sister's like 13. She's got a version of that T-shirt. <laughs> And there's me. I know. And by the way, even my cousin was like, your mom once gave me a T-shirt. And then she sent me a photograph. And it was the same fucking T-shirt. I'm like, how, do, how many of these did mom buy? It's like, she's like completely crazy. So anyway, yes. Your sister. Mm -hmm. Very stylish. How much older is she than you? Um, so I haven't said this out loud. And I will say it. And then we'll have to move through it because it'll be difficult otherwise. My sister was six years older than me. She passed away on the 10th of March. I'm so sorry. Oh. I'm sorry, love. It's okay, that's fine. For anyone listening who's lost a sibling, whether you were close to them or not, yeah, it's tough. It, I, you know, because they take away with you, with them, a part of your childhood that no one else had access to if there's only two of you, you know? 
And um, mm. anyway, she was very stylish and she was very preoccupied with her clothing always. And that was the big fight that she used to have with my parents because she very rebellious and wanted to wear what she wanted. And I think that's also why I piped down because I was like, I don't want to have oh. that with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was very, and she but was very she cool. did she influence you? Were you like, did you get the hand-me-downs and did you experiment or did she dress you up? No, you know, it was weird because, um, so in the Philippines, when she was sort of in her teens and I was still, six years is a lot when you're nine and the other one is 15, you know, mm -hmm. she was having her own fights with mom and about clothing and I was just wearing what I was told. Because nine and 15, it's, it's too much. And yeah. she was very busy trying to get a boyfriend and she didn't, she didn't want to dress me. She would have liked me to just please fuck off. And just let me alone. She read Mills and Boons that I had to hide from my mother. Um, so, <laughs> so funny. Um, and so that, and then when we came back to India, she was in high school and had to go to an American high school. So she went away to school, an American high school to boarding. And then I lived in a very small town with my parents. And so she still was quite Americanized and much more like, I used to think of her as quite, oh, she's so cool. And, you know. Uh, whereas I was like, had become like a small town Indian kid who my mother completely was like, you better fucking just listen. So then I was even more controlled by my mother. And I didn't mind though, because there were other kids and my mother didn't raise me in a way that was not Indian. You see? So it was like, mm. everyone was like that, then it was fine. Yeah. Um, I wasn't influenced by how my sister dressed because I didn't have the access that she had. Plus she was very petite and I was already 5'8 and she used to be furious with me. She said, if you grow any taller, I'll kill you. I was like, Ugh, how's that going to work? Um, so, no, I didn't. didn't I, um, I don't remember having anything in common with my sister fashion-wise because of our circumstances, but also she, I didn't live with her after she was 10, uh, after I was 10, because she was in boarding school and then she was at university. So I didn't permanently live, like share a room or anything yeah. like that. And she had a, and then she moved to America quite early and she had a very different dress sense than me. I was always casual, slightly eccentric. So the difference between my sister and I was that my sister would read Teen Vogue and then be like, this is how I'm going to dress. I would read Teen Vogue and be like, these girls are idiots. <laughs> I need to do something. But I think it's for me, it was a defense because I right. looked so odd in India. And my sister was very light skinned and petite. And, you know, and um, I was not. So I think my defense was to just not be like what's mainstream. Mm, yeah, because, of course, you see all that happening and being rewarded and you're being told that you don't fit into any of that. So you'll be like, oh, well, I'm not even in, I don't even want to play that game. Anyway. Exactly. I'm going to do my own thing. That has been that that is my middle name. Sindhu, I'm not going to play the play the game because I don't know how to play it and I can't ever make it work. <laughs> v. That's my name. <laughs> so were you ever putting clothing, when you're sort of back in India, your sister's away, your mum is like, you're getting it sort of, it sounds like from what you're saying, a typical Indian upbringing yeah. compared to the people around you. Were you ever made to wear anything that you hated? All then? the time. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, I had to wear the worst clothes all the time. I, so if I, because I went to school, I had uniform at the convent we had the blue mm -hmm. uniform that's fine came home 
My mother never spent money on clothes. She thought it was ridiculous. She made clothes. She had hand-me-downs. So I was always wearing something I hated that didn't fit. And I was like, ugh. Basically, I was like FML all the time. But then <laughs> I had to find a way to distract myself from the FML life. So I did other things, you know, I whatever. Uh, and then every once in a while, someone went abroad or my uncle came and they got me one T-shirt with like Looney Tunes. And I loved it because it was so, like, great. It's like I have friends who don't let their kids watch TV, right? And then their kids used to come to our house and just, like, have an orgasm in front of Tom and Jerry. I was like <laughs> that around those clothes that I, you know, was like what other kids had. So I always wore things I didn't like. I remember especially when I became 16, 17, 18, because mommy wanted to marry me off by 19. She was like, that's enough with you. So she started, I started sort of being taken to weddings where other people could see me, sort of like this kind of thing, whatever. Ugh. Anyway, um, I didn't wow. really mind, but it was, it was just a bit odd. But anyway, it wasn't necessarily that unusual either. She used to put me in these saris, which were horrific, and this jewelry, which was horrific. And I had to go to these weddings. And I remember thinking, basically FML, that's what I thought. I was like, fuck this, you know, but then you did what you could. You just, yeah, I don't know. I, I see when you say horrible saris because every time I've seen a sari it is the most beautiful thing in the world I can't imagine a bad one because the colours and you know the fabrics are so beautiful and the, the jewellery is always stunning I don't know how you get a bad one I think it's because you don't because you when you see that stuff you think oh that's so nice it's like my mother when she comes here and sees someone wearing tartan dungarees she's like oh how lovely and I'm like no because you guys would it's like that that you know that kind of fabric which you associate with tablecloths here yeah. and my mother sees a dress in that she's like this is the best thing so I think it's that it's like you because it's so different for you if you get into right. saris you will start thinking that they're ugly saris and if you're ever in doubt I will show you some I'll find some <laughs> photos of me with some ugly saris like just you know there's always a fashion right like I would have liked to wear mm. chiffons and French chiffons and those. My mommy put me in these heavy silk Kanjivaram saris with gold woven. It was like, ugh, what are these old lady saris late, man? You couldn't say anything because <laughs> she would get very upset. <laughs> well, was there a nice sort of clothing that you loved that you never wanted to take off when you were a kid or a teenager? Um, my denim jacket. I wore it all the time. It was such a, and mommy never stopped me. She was like, yeah, whatever. This is like your university time. You can do what you like. So I wore that all the time. And then when I was in first year of college, so after, like after A-levels, so I must've been 18, 19, I started going to a flea market called Sarojini Nagar with my friend and my cousin. And we would buy this fabric. It's called cheat. It's basically different printed kind of cottons. And they're what a lot of women laborers wear because it's cheap and it's cotton. And I would get these long skirts with lots of like these long Indian skirts that women who do manual labor on the roads wear. And I would wear those. Um, and I'm going to say this out loud on the podcast, doesn't matter. And I would wear that with a t-shirt and my denim jacket and this like massive printed floral crazy skirt and no underpants. <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, you know what? I'm not wearing underpants to college today. By the way, no boyfriend, no boy liked me. So it's not like there was an agenda there. <laughs> it's just like, why not? 
And um, it was mad. We used to have these days when we would just not wear underpants because we were wearing this huge gathered skirt. And I think it looked very cool to wear a T-shirt and that. And I think it was very, it was interesting because we were so self, I was so self-conscious about how I looked and how much people were judging me, but I really leaned into it. I leaned the fuck into it. And it was almost like I was like, sometimes when you're, you know, when you're unhappy and then you, when you're young and you're very unhappy and you think, if I pinch myself, I'll forget how unhappy I feel because this pain is worse. Mm. I felt like I was leaning into really looking incredibly outlandish so that it would take away from how the everyday message of how outlandish I was, which was something I could not control. I could not control my height. I could not control my complexion. So what I did was I just went this, all the way. Yeah, this is so interesting. So you're, it's like, uh, almost like failing on your own terms. So you're like, oh, if you're going to make me an outsider, I'm going to show you how exactly. much of an outsider. Yes. Wow. And it's and interesting to me that the, the, the skirts, which feel very traditional, mix with this homemade prince enthused it's sort of like a it's very fashion to mix these traditional things and subvert them i guess that's a really playful thing is that your rebellious phase then do you think 100 percent. i started smoking then of course on the sly i and i had very long hair i used to have a braid if i sat down i would sit on it like i had very long hair so i started to put it on a bun on the top of my head i mean i was like you noticed first of all you noticed me because i was like a tree walking around campus I mean, I was 5'10". And then there I came in like these clothes that, you know, it was like, what the fuck is going on with her? And I didn't get any kudos. I, you know, but I, I sort of would, I sort of was like, yeah, and. And I think it was my, in, in hindsight, I think I was, it was an incredible act of um, agency of revolution. To use a very big word, you know, I mean, it, it's mm. it's almost shameful that I'm using such a word to apply it to myself. But let's talk about it like from a macro point of view. It was a revolt that I was willing to go to the wire. So I had some self-worth, but it was on my mm. terms, exactly what you said. Mm. I mean, at the time, so I didn't feel it was like that. But I, I can see now I have a 17 year old daughter, so I understand what 17 year olds are. And I look back and I think that's what that was about. I mean, I was considered a freak, you know, there was no chance of getting a boyfriend looking like that. But I didn't care. It's like armor then, right? You're putting on this stuff that's like, you keep away, you can't reject me because I'm not letting you anywhere near me anyway, and I'm just doing things my way. Yeah, you you can't reject me because we're not on the same planet. You know? Wow. Yeah. It's like walking around saying, oh, I don't like Mars. It's like you've never been to fucking Mars, moron. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So what were the big trends when you were a teenager? Were you going in for those at all? Or were you, were there different trends in India as there were, you know, in in Europe and, and America and you're picking from everywhere? No, I mean, the trends... You know, I I went to Delhi University. It's very sort of, you know, we were very educated. We had a lot of access to, not, I mean, not everyone at Delhi University, but St. Stephen's College, Hindu College, where I went, um, uh, these were all, you know, these were all elites in a sense. 
mm-hmm. you know, their our parents were educated, they were professionals. So it's not like we were small town anymore. So we had access to Western fashion ideas. People had Vogue. I didn't have the money or the means to follow those trends. And I made myself believe that people who follow fashion trends that are in magazines are vacuous, which was a terrible judgment. But it was, again, a defense because I didn't have access mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be in that game, which is why when I was suddenly picked by Yves Saint Laurent to open their show in India, it was a huge problem for me because I was like, I had a moment of being made to feel like I could be more than mainstream. I could win at mainstream. And I ran in the opposite direction out of fear of failing because ultimately all this stuff was about all of this great stuff that I'm calling, oh, I was, you know, it was revolution or this or that. It was coming from a place of incredible insecurity and fear. It wasn't coming from a place of inclusive generosity and understanding mm. of, you know, the world is one. No, it became empowering because mm. I just practiced how to be myself, but it was coming from a terrible place of unhappiness or fear, fear and self-loathing. Um, so when YSL showed up, I was like, the fuck you, fuck you. And, you know, and it's to this day, my friends are like, we can't believe that you never like I didn't tell people. Yeah. And all the Indian, the four Indian models who modeled then made huge careers out of modeling. And I was asked, they asked me to go with them to Paris. And my father said, absolutely not. And I was like, yeah, right. Absolutely not. Because that's vacuous. I probably would have become a complete drug addict, but that's by the way. Um, (laughs) So no, I had no access. I didn't have money. I didn't want to be in the trends, but the trends were the same. I remember it was very much like, you know, there was like boys had mullets. Uh, kind of thing and also I remember the trend was just to have nice jeans and acid wash denim and all that stuff and Mm -hmm. you know that was but where would I have had any access to any of that we didn't have money Mm -hmm. we weren't rich we were you know we, we were very well off but in India there was a big divide between people with a lot of money and people who were professional elites who had educations and sent their kids to so it would be like the difference between someone who could go to Eton that they had money versus someone who put their kid in a grammar school back in the day I was like that that kind of you know the second kind so yeah so I didn't go for all the trends I I wished I wished I could have but I couldn't have so I just went the other way but I obviously was very you know I didn't I didn't show up in something that was a kind of a cheap version of a trend i showed up in a fucking cotton skirt that the in that the laborer women wear in a white t-shirt and no underpants i didn't t- say i was wearing no underwear by the way <laughs> but you knew so that's I the knew. important thing i know it was such a great <laughs> feeling to know that and no one else knew <laughs> so that i'm fascinated by the Yves Saint laurent thing so did you get like spotted is that how yeah. it came about yeah they just walked up to me yeah well of course you would see this gorgeous dark skinned five foot ten with a huge bun on their head with this denim jacket of course that would be the girl you pick <laughs> it was at a of course i i i had decided to apply to um oxford for to study and i needed to I needed admission. I I needed money. I just, it was like a way out thing. But there was a process. I was in the process. And one of the things in the process was you needed to do an interview to show your interests. And I was like, oh, my interest is smoking. I can't do that. So <laughs> I decided to then bulk up my CV. And I love animals. And my father's friend 
told him that World Wildlife Fund was looking for volunteers because they were doing an international movie festival of wildlife movies at the India International Center, which is where my father was like, it's like a kind of a, it's not a club, like a necessarily social club. It has a library. It has cultural programs. Right. And so I was like, oh, I'll volunteer because that'll help my, you know, I was like in my head, I was like, oh, then I can say mm. blah, blah. So I volunteered for that. And then they had, and then for, there was a bunch of us, but lo and behold, I was the head of the volunteers. Of course I was. Talk my, <laughs> literally fucking scam my way into that thing. But I knew a lot about animals. So I was the one who was like, yeah, 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 I know this, I know this. So we were doing all the films and they were done in the most fancy hotel in Delhi at the time called the Oberoi. And because all the delegates had come from all over the world and they were dying in the heat. So we had to put them in an AC environment. And that was that hotel. <laughs> and so I had to run the films and give a little talk about the films and make sure the delegates were happy. And my dad's friend was there as well. And then afterwards, we had a dinner and we were all sitting at dinner. And the previous month, there had been in the newspaper, because remember, this is there's no Internet. Everything is in the newspaper. Mm. If someone died, you read about it in the obituary. That's how you found out they were dead. There was full page ads the previous month had been running full page, which was unusual in India, in block capital saying, are you over 5'8"? Would you like to model Yves Saint Laurent coming to India? Apply here. And I remember reading that every day and thinking in my heart, wouldn't that be something? And then thinking, but this is for girls who model. This is for girls who are pretty. Yes, I'm over 5'8", but this is not for girls who have academic ambitions. I'm going to make something of myself. Like all the thoughts. Because I read the paper every day because I had to discuss the newspaper with my father. Every day we had that packed. Every day I saw this ad. Anyway, that's an aside. And so we're at this hotel and we're doing all this thing. And then we're sitting down at dinner with the delegates. And I'm sitting down and this man walks up to me. And he talks, he starts talking to me and I'm like, sorry. And he starts saying something and blah, blah, blah. And Yves Saint Laurent and the show and day after tomorrow. And I was like, I don't, I don't. And he was French and my dad's friend had lived in Geneva. I don't know. They started speaking and he was the director of the show. And he was like, we're starting day after tomorrow. I've seen her. I want her to open the show. We've been in rehearsal for four weeks but I want her to open the show and I was like no and my dad's friend was like oh I'm gonna talk to her dad don't worry and the next day I showed up and um I'd never seen anything like it there was naked women running around people dressing them up I was like what the fuck is going on and there was a line of Indian women and I remember I passed all of them and they said right and there was a model in Paris called Khadija and she was of African descent and she hadn't been able to make it so they were like that's her clothes. All her clothes said Khadija, Khadija. And I was like, and they were like, so, and it's day after tomorrow. So they put this woman on with me who taught me to walk 10 hours, both days. And that was <laughs> it. And I went on the third day. It was mad. I'd never experienced oh. anything like that in my life. I'm amazed that you did, did you not get bitten by the bug? Or was it again, you know, when your father was like, you're not going, were you like, was that again a bit of failing on your own terms but like yeah well I don't want to do it anyway because because to you in your head you're this you're this not attractive girl. I mean we can all see that you're absolutely gorgeous but in your head you weren't so is it and in you India going, I wasn't rather, 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the, the standard's there. So were you going, you know what, I'd rather... There's a bit in your head going, I'm going to turn it down rather than turn around one day and say, actually, we don't want you anymore or you're not the look that we want. No, I don't think it was. It, it went that far. Again, no one has asked me these questions in so long or I think ever. So if I look back, because, you know, as the mother of a teenage girl, I, I, I now look back at myself in those years and I am able to remember what I thought uh, with some distance, you know, so it's, there's more accuracy because there's more honesty. It was such a massive fucking thing that had happened that I needed my parents to to support me or say, go and do it. I had no, I didn't have anyone, I didn't come from that world. I didn't have anyone to give me advice. Mm. I didn't have anyone to say, yes, you can. I, I, we had very close family friends. She's almost like an aunt to me. She's the one that talked to my dad about letting me do it. He wasn't going to let me do it because he didn't rate modeling. Because remember, this is the 80s. This is supermodel time. And this is 1990, maybe? 91? I don't remember. It had to be 90 because I left in 91. And at that time, models were all about coke and drugs and you know what I mean? Mm. And these were Westerners. So my dad was rightly concerned. She was Mm. very fancy. She had gone to Paris and she was very fashionable. And she made my dad let me go. And we had a dinner the night before the um, before the opening of the show and she gave me one of her French chiffon saris and she blow dried my hair. I've never felt more beautiful in my life. Just for that oh. dinner, it was incredible. It was incredible. I remember thinking, I remember feeling like I was in a dream. Um, but anyway, I needed, I would have needed support. I would have needed someone who understood and said, it's okay. You can, you got this, we have it. Mm. You know, sometimes I read about young people from underprivileged backgrounds who say, well, we couldn't have joined finance. We couldn't have applied to Oxford. We didn't have anyone in that world. Mm. So I had the grades, but I didn't know, can I? Mm. And this is a version of that. Yeah. I had no one. And I had lots of people saying, you don't do that. You? Not, you don't do that. And I think it's the same for young people who can't apply to certain universities or certain jobs. Their families say, well, you can't do that. Mm. But because it was modeling, it there was also a, a, a sort of school of thought that said women with brains don't model. Mm. Yeah. And so I was able to sort of hide behind that. Right. So for many, many years, when people asked me the YSL question, or in you know when I I always said well it was not academic, but now with all this with the with the beauty of hindsight is I recognize that it was something my parents didn't know what it was, I didn't know and it was huge. Yeah. And I think if I had gone with YSL, I may have had a drug problem, but I think I would have had an extraordinary career in modeling. Mm. But I, it who who could have, who, no one knew that roadmap. So it just happened and then it happened and it was done. And also, all my mother, my, my parents didn't come to the show. They were like, you go do that and then we're done. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. How old were you? 19. Oh, my God. Baby. I was Baby, a child. Right? I was a child. Yeah. I'm going to try and see if I have a, I have a picture of the dinner. I didn't. I refused to take the press packet. Imagine. I'm going to try my hardest to try and hunt this down. Mm. My friends in India have tried so hard. 
but YSL never came back to India. And so, and then there's one of the women who also modeled lives in London and I bumped into her at a dinner party and she's Indian and I tried to talk to her about it. And, you know, she totally, totally aired me because I think she still remembers that she had had to go for months of rehearsal and she was like, it, you, oh yeah. And then she just wouldn't talk to me. She won't even reply to my emails about, do you have any pictures? She became a model then, like a big model. Wow. <laughs> Well, of course. Imagine being like months and months of rehearsals and then some kid, you know, with a huge bun and mad stuff walks in. They're like, oh, by the way, you're going to open the show. It would destroy you. Of course she's like that. Of course, But she had a huge career and, you know, but anyway, I think she has photographs, but I wouldn't know because she won't um, she won't give them to me or she won't help me. But, you know, that was then and this is this. And that's what I keep saying to my friends in India. I'm like, what if people think I made it up? They're like, oh, please. And I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> um, can I ask then, when you're walking that runway in gorgeous, gorgeous Yves Saint Laurent clothes, did you, did you feel different? Were you like, well, I could get used to this? Or were no. you so worried about your walk that you were just out of it? Was it like an outer body thing? No, they had put all this big makeup and I didn't look like what I thought was pretty. You know, I looked like one of those like, weird makeup and I thought I looked horrendous I still don't like makeup um and so I no when I was doing that walk I wasn't thinking about how I was looking like with everything in my life Kiri and you'll understand this because you know me in comedy I had a responsibility and I was going to make it fucking I was going to do the best fucking walk because I had a job I had a responsibility I couldn't let people down you know and you know how I'm like that Mm. I realize that yeah. now when I see how I've functioned in comedy, I've decided something, I've taken it on, I've given my word, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I thought. But I I still, if I close my eyes, I can so easily recall the, they, they held it at the, at the, at the, on, the, on the ruins of the fort in Delhi and, and they had lights. And I remember there were thousands and thousands of people had come to see this thing. It was huge. Because in India, thousands of people is not that hard also, you know. If you open your window yeah. and say, hello, I'm doing this show, fucking 1,000 people just show up there anyway. <laughs> um, and I remember walking and it was just me. And there was all these floodlights and music. And I just remember thinking, I hope I do this well. Wow. Yeah. That's so you, though, that there's almost like no joy in the moment. Other people would be like, I can't believe this is happening. Or like, of course, this is happening. And you're like, I'm going to con- fill my contractual obligation and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. It's like so Sindhu. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. I was like, I got I to gotta do this the right. I got to do this walk. <laughs> So if I was to describe your style, it's expensive. You always look expensive, I think. And there's always polish and there's always a softness. So there's textures and there's like rich jewel tones, but there's a real femininity to it. When did that start appearing? Because I feel like it, that doesn't fit with your other. I mean, you've had so I feel like you've had 19 lives in, in one. I have. But like <laughs> you the world of finance, that doesn't that feels like that might be a very bold way of appearing there. I so I, did that exist? Uh, I didn't dress like that then in finance. I wore what I was supposed to wear. I wore very but I was very 
sort of, I, you know, I had my moments of wearing, even my suits, they were not like, they were always suits that had a little bit of a something going on. And I always used to feel, um, and this is something that I think this podcast is, this is the right podcast in which to say this, even though it's a very nascent idea for me. It only really came to me this year in the last three months. I have always worn what I was supposed to wear with a little bit of a something else going on, always. And I, up until I think April of this year, 2021, I have always explained that when asked, or even when I've thought about it, or when my kids have asked, my, my teenage daughter, why, I've always said, it's because I have to make a statement because I had to fight so hard to not feel like a misfit, appearance-wise. I think that's a smaller part of it because for many years I haven't felt like a misfit and yet it has continued. What I think has been going on is inside of me, there's always been a creative person. But never has that creative person had a voice because mm. it was not academic. It was not what good girls do. It's not what marriageable girls do. Also, artists die hungry. What is art? You need to do something to support yourself. You need to be a responsible daughter. You have to support your parents, all of which are great messages. Mm. But even six years into stand-up comedy, I would not have described myself as a creative person, let alone an artist. I've never, I've, oh, I fell into stand-up. Oh, it, I was catapulted into it. Yeah, I like telling jokes. Ah, but I can't handle, I mean, I'm not creative. But I think the fact of the matter is, Kiri, I think there is a great creative energy in me. Not great like mm. it's great, but I think it's a force. Mm. So I don't mean great in terms of achievement. I mean in terms of just magnitude. And I but think objectively both as well, mate. <laughs> like you're but, very good at what you do. <laughs> but there'll be years. There'll be there'll be fellow years, but that won't make me less creative. You see what I mean? I know that, and that's mm. how life is. And I think that creativity has gotten out in the clothing and in the style because there's been no other outlet. Love it. It it is that, isn't it? It's that it's the you know your creativity is is like a water and it's a thumb on a tap and it's got to fire out in some direction and it's been this this pop of colour here or this subversion of that there and that's your Always. way of being artistic. Always. I mean, and I, m m more than anywhere else, I would say on the trading floor, you know, I had a lot of access to fashion because we have money um, and that's what you do. And I could have worn the most incredible power suits that were straight up, Giorgio Armani, you know, great. But I always wore power suits that had one thing about them that was just what we say in India, hatke, that stands aside by itself, away from the crowd. Hatke means away from the crowd, always. And it could have been the tiniest thing, but I knew. And so the trading floor was very much like that. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like people... You know, but the people said, oh, what the hell are you dressed as? As I got more senior, not more senior, but as I spent more years, became more confident, I did get comments on, you know, I started wearing trouser suits a lot more. And if I wore a skirt suit, the skirt was tiny. 
and the heels were high and I would walk into a room very much like this is what I'm wearing and I'm a woman go ahead and look at my legs because I don't give a fuck <laughs> and I think that's a very it's a message to men that I'm not wearing this so you give me a deal I'm wearing this because I like my fucking legs and you're going to give me a deal anyway <laughs> and I think that that was very much my thinking. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was quite aggressively not flirty, mm. you know, which is a power that women have had to have, you know, in very male environments. Um, yeah. And then I, but I had a lot of trouser suits. I remember though, these triggers, these moments of being, of being just sent back to the, days of being at the international school as a five-year-old and being mocked for my clothes. I I bought a suit once um, and it was a very light, uh, it was a linen suit and it was a very, it was sort of a mix between quite a dark lilac and a light purple. But it would, the fabric, because also Indians were big on fabric, the fabric had a sheen to it. So if in the light, it just, would have a and I wore it and I used to wear it to work and it was very wide trousers and it was a great suit and it was a long jacket um, I don't remember the brand um, and there was three guys on my desk nice guys lovely guys they all were better at their jobs than I was because I didn't understand the complicated math um, that goes into some of these options trades and the one who was nice to me and explained to me was the most senior but he was also the guy who did the most coke on the desk and had he was like the real party guy. <laughs> One day, I remember we were getting ready to do something and I was there and he turned around and he made a comment about something. Oh, I want to re remember um, something and the magic raincoat. Not Joseph's Technicolor. Yeah, there you go. Drink. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he said it and they all laughed at me. He said, oh, there she is in her Joseph and the Technicolor suit. And they all laughed at me. And for a moment, my not knowing the job, my being the most junior person, my not being good at what was about to happen, which was we were going to try and price a trade, took me right back to being that five-year-old girl in front of Mandy and Abby. And they used to mock me. And I remember, I've never forgotten. Look, I can still remember that story. And it was because of how I was dressed. And I remember thinking, I remember feeling so small and never, and then putting the suit away and I didn't wear it for a while. And then I wore it again and, um, and I, I had to have a talk with myself because I didn't look like all the other women on the floor because I wore these kind of slightly off, you know, no one would wear a light mauve dark, you know, suit to work. <laughs> Everyone was black and I was like, fuck that. You know, so I remember that. And I remember I went to get my biggest bonus. I remember I knew I would get a big bonus that year. I went in a tiny um, skirt suit with a really fitted jacket. And I was tiny then and a tiny skirt. And it was blood red. I remember blood red. And I went and I sat in front of my boss and I was like, so what are you going to pay me? It was great. It was, it, but I, in, at the time, I didn't think that's what was happening. But I was always using my clothes to put myself in a certain position. And it was never about seeming 
feminine or that, you know, guys would, it was always what I thought I was looking, I was always projecting something, always. I didn't know that. I didn't know that then. Amazing. Amazing. Isn't that crazy? It's, um, you know, it's so gorgeous because your, your clothes are telling us something about you that you didn't even know. Mm-mm. And then also mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of like, weaponizing is the wrong word, but you're engaging clothes to tell a story about yourself you want to tell as well. And then inadvertently it's telling this other thing that you didn't even realize. 100%. Oh gosh, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But that, that style is obviously the creativity still there, but that's... I, I can't imagine you doing stand-up in a tiny blood red power no. suit now no that's a different journey to where we are so did it did how you dress now and how you present yourself now um did, is that only since coming to stand up or no no so let's just i'm gonna say something that's gonna blow your mind when i had two kids and i was very bored i started a fashion business yeah it's called <laughs> davy doll um it was called davy doll d-e-v-i-d-o-l-l um and it was online and it was high-end fashion but all ethical and it was in 2006 and I couldn't get funding for it because it was so be- before it's, yeah, you could Google it. Anyway, and I started a blog called Curate Your Consumption. And it was all about dressing like you were buying from Netta Porter, but everything you owned was do- had an ethical component. Because in my opinion, women want to look good and feel good. But they, you know, my idea was that you should wear the best looking clothes, but they don't have to be fucking with the world. And you can't solve all the problems. So just if you made sure, so I had five criteria and all the clothes that I sold in the, it was a boutique, it was online, um, had to fulfill at least one. But on the others, it couldn't be like, yeah, we have a crash for, you know, the the mothers that handloom this, but meanwhile, we're killing. It wasn't like that. It yeah. was like, so it was early years. I tried to get funding and, it just no one understood what I was talking about. They were like, what? Um, and in those years, I became a buyer, right? I, I So I went all over. I Googled and I did my research. I set it up by myself, which was stupid because I didn't know how to run a business at all. But I, um, I learned a lot about ethical fashion. I met a lot of designers all over the world. Um, and I what I did was I learned about fashion and, you know, the liters of water that it takes to grow cotton versus this versus that. And I set up this boutique online. And in the process of doing that, I really, really, really learned how I wanted to dress. I didn't necessarily dress that way, but I wanted to. And I was incredibly lucky because you have to remember, I was a mother living at home with a bunch of savings from banking Mm. because I wasn't a big spender. You know, and I was always taught to save. And that money came in handy because I didn't want to take money from my husband to start a business. I thought that was lame because if I ever wanted to leave, I've always said, if I need to leave this marriage, I want to have like, I I want to be like, and I didn't even take your money, asshole. Like that's always been my thing, (laughs) which is so unfair. It's not like my husband has ever made me feel like that's something he would. (laughs) But I always had that, you know, independence in me. And so that's when I really, really, um, began to think of fashion as a full-time thing. And mm-hmm. that helped me to develop what was my style, but not the confidence because I was coming out of a very conservative mindset. Remember with my mother and my looks and then banking, but fashion yeah. was mad. It was mad. The world of fashion was mad. Like you couldn't be too outrageous, you know? And I also learned the limits of my outrageousness. 
you know, I would, so I learned in the process of that business, which by the way, went bust. Cause in 2009, I was like, we're coming, this is not going to work. I knew enough about finance and I couldn't get funding. People didn't understand ethical fashion. They were like, what? So I wrapped it up and, you know, I still have, and I bought stocks. I still have some stock, imagine. Um, so it was there that I really was able to make some peace with myself and my looks and um, how I wanted to dress. Um, and yeah, I just, some things became very clear to me and I never had to question them again. Well, again, another, just another part of your life that I had no idea about that I'm like, of course she uh, invented like ethical high-end fashion <laughs> before everyone else. Invented. You know, now I, now I see on Netta Porter, they have Net Sustain and I'm like, oh, I wish, you know, it had been there then. But um, yeah, but you know, you, it was, I think the bridge between academic banking, Sindhu and stand up, someone who did something that it, because a business is still very, it's it numbers and strategy and it's mm. not, it's not fun, but fashion, that was the bridge. I lost all my money, by the way, because business is expensive and I didn't have any funding. So whatever money I could put in it all went away. But that's the cost. It's like I, I would have gone and done an MBA or, you know, gone and that was the cost of bridging academic numbers, Sindhu, with comedy. Oh, amazing. Was, that, was, that was a very fashionable bridge. <laughs> and the clothes that you wear now, which are always gorgeous, d do you use any of that knowledge of your business? Is it like, oh, I found this designer or I had yeah. this bit? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have, I do. Um, my knowledge from fashion is that style is, looking stylish is 98% confidence and 2% what you're wearing. Mm. So yeah, I use that all the time. I don't have that many clothes as I have clothes that, I mean, I have some like slouch around the house clothes, but the clothes that you've you know, the clothes that I'm seen to be wearing on different TV shows or this or that. I know why I bought every single piece of every single item of clothing. I know why. I know what it meant to me. I know, you know, I care about it. I have clothes. I was wearing a jacket yesterday, actually. This jacket right here, this one. I bought it on Hampstead High Street in 1997. I had moved here to work. And I wanted a jacket and I wanted to buy something nice. And there was just a shop. It wasn't a brand. And I bought a 97. And I wore it yesterday and I immediately remember what it was like to get a paycheck. <laughs> That's you gorgeous. Because I think mm. clothes can, they, they tell stories about us and they tell stories to, to yourself as well. That you remember where you were when you... You get you got that, yeah. or the feeling, or the first time you wear it, or when you thought you left it on the bus. That this oh history my god, I lost my 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 cheap fake leather leather jacket. I think when I'd had just when the baby was born, the, the baby, the third kid I have, which is she's not a baby. I left it on an I left it somewhere, and I've never really recovered. <laughs> that and a pair of sunglasses, my Marc Jacobs sunglasses that I bought on sale in Las Vegas once. I've never recovered. Like I see photographs with the sunglasses and I'm like, fuck that photo. Like I just hate it. 
Uh, I have a leather jacket that got stolen at a house party that I got from Primark and everyone was like where did you get that leather and it was like 20 quid or 25 quid uh, which was quite a lot of money to me as a student but I also knew that was really cheap as a leather jacket and it was amazing and it just looked good with everything and when someone stole at a house party I was like you motherfuckers and I have the same thing if I see pictures I'm like yeah the leather jacket that I lost the zip broke and I took it to India and had the shoemaker put a big zip on so like the zip was completely out of sync with the jacket and I left it somewhere and I'll never forget, never forgive myself. Awful. It's worse than losing a passport, I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> like... yeah, well, in a way, yeah, because you can't get that same jacket back. But I would like not to lose my passport while I was traveling. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> When you're getting dressed to perform or, or, you know, just not being at home in your slouchy stuff, let's say, do you think of, because when I think of you, one of the things I think about is your stunning hair. But do you think of hair and makeup as part of the outfit? Because you said you don't really like makeup. You know I don't wear makeup. I hate it. Yeah. I don't really wear it. I wear it on TV because they make me. Um, You know, if you ask anyone who does hair and makeup for all these shows I'm always like can I have no foundation they're like no please just shut up um <laughs> hair is always I think of it and I always you know my hair is pretty standard it's it, I blow dry it and it's there um it's interesting in stand-up the whole issue of how I want to look on stage my when I started stand-up I was so conscious of wanting to make how I looked invisible so that how I sounded was visible that I wore like the uniform I had a button I had a shirt with buttons and three-quarter jeans and flats and I I I had a lot of friends from my civilian friends who used to say oh you're on stage are you going to show your legs you gonna? and I was like no 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 it was a bit like banking I wanted to make sure I was not seen to not remembered for my legs but for my work and mm. I think in some ways I was not I think being in comedy I'm able to talk about feminist thinking quite easily with different women whereas Mm. on the school run it doesn't come up you know (laughs) it doesn't come up but we are sort of stand-up has this way of talking about issues and we are performing Mm. and so it's all very alive you know and it's very alive and so I realized that my early attitudes to how I wanted to appear on stage were very much colored by this idea that if women don't want to be noticed for, or that if a woman dresses up, of course she'll be noticed for how she looks. And then what does she expect? I had that voice in my head and I kind of behaved like that because it was so big in banking. And I didn't know what the, what the currency of comedy was yet because I hadn't done it that long. So I made sure that I looked very plain, you know. Um, when I did my first TV thing for BBC Live, I wore a pale blue off button down office shirt with flats and jeans that was it I was like people are not going to remember these clothes they got to remember my jokes Mm. which um so that was interesting I've evolved since then in a in a few different ways one is I I think it was right for me not to lean in too much to how I looked on stage because it would have been on my mind more not mm. on anyone else's fucking mind, my mind. And then I'm there for jokes, you know? So the more comfortable I become on stage, the more certain I am of myself, my routines. I now will dress up if I want to. 
um, you know, when I hosted Apollo, I wore <laughs> I wore a shirt that I like out on a blue skirt and Converse. And I was like, that's what I'm wearing. And the shirt had polka dots and the Converse had graffiti. And I was like, no, that's my look. And I think my my attitude in that moment, and I hope for my own daughters, is that glamour, you are glamour, not your clothes. You are glamour. You are the achievements. You are the strength. And you give that to those clothes. Yeah, well, I think you... Oh my gosh, you exude glamour. Even now, when I'm chatting to you and you're in your like, you're like, oh, I've got an Under Armour vest on. And like, I smell, by the look... way, just a bit gross. <laughs> and you stink. <laughs> but you still have this glamour and this grace and this just empowered self-assuredness that is style. It's what, it's what people talk about when they talk about style. Yeah, and so you are the glamour, you know? You are the talent that makes the jokes. The jokes don't make you funny. You are the talent. You are the energy. And it's in you. And I don't know how long it's going to take my daughters to find it. I'll try and do everything I can to help them. But you have to tap into that. And then the clothes, they sing for you. But it's your voice. Yeah. You know? Can I ask, now you're being creative and acknowledging like the power in your own creativity, do you think those bits of water pour, you know, coming out of the tap at the end, do you think that they have like settled a bit because you're, you're not needing to... to the, the creativity has another outlet now. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I, don't think I take it... You know, I don't think I go out dressed the way... Because I, I dress quite outrageously by the standards of my civilian friends. Um, but I wear it now when I, when, I, when I dress now. I don't feel ready for a war. You know, like, what are they going to say? Or what am I, you know? I, someone said to me the other day that I dress like I have a very young soul when it comes to dressing. Because my mm -hmm. son is 19, he's 6'6". Six, six. He's got some great shit from these, I don't know, brands like Supreme and Vetements. He buys it on like he does some vintage this, that. And I said, this T-shirt is very nice. Can I try it? He says, no. I said, please. He says, no. Then when he's sleeping, I take it from his cupboard and I try it <laughs> and I wear it out. Um, I feel very playful about clothes. And so I, on the one hand, I don't think about it so much. But on the other hand, I do think about it, but I don't. No, I don't feel like I'm thinking about it because it's like a play. It's like I'm playing. So, you know, mm. and I think I feel so grateful these days. Sometimes when I walk out of the house with something mad and I think, oh, that's just mad. And then for a moment I stop and I thank my mother, my culture, Yves Saint Laurent, all the steps that have I've gone through to get here because I think now, now I can do what I want. Now I... You know, I've learned, I've gone through the, remember in Kill Bill, she has to go and she meets that guy and she has to carry the buckets of water and he punches her in the face <laughs> and all that. And then she gets out and then she can be like, and like just kill people by looking at them. I feel like I went through all those years and all that stuff and now I can play, you know, and, um, and I'm not 31. I'm not 41. I'm 51. I'm 51 years old. But I mean, do the math. We just talked about my age. And yeah, my... I know. But I, yeah, but I'm looking in the face of someone who's who's like the same age as me, if not younger. 
And yeah, well, also, there's this strange joy when you're like, I'm 51. I'm like, oh my God, I could look that good at 51. I'm like, I don't look as good as you now. It's not going to happen at 51. But I think, I think, um, I think 51, 51. I think in this day and age, uh, with all the things that women are able to do, hopefully we can do more and more. um, And with science having told us so much about our health, I've never felt younger at some level, but also never felt more more like whatever the fuck it is, bring it. We'll be fine. I'll have fun. It'll be okay. Or I'll cry and my heart will break and then I'll be okay as, as well. Or you know what? I look great. You don't fucking like it, buddy. Move along. Move the fuck along. I don't give a shit. I love it. And I have friends who love it, so I don't give a shit anymore. That whole vibe, I don't think I had in my 30s. I, I know I didn't have in my 30s. In 30s, it was like, oh, my God, uh, this who am I going to marry? Oh, I was already married. Sorry. How many kids am I going to have? Whatever. And, I, you know, I people say, we well, don't seem 51. I don't feel 51. But even if I felt 51, it's a number. And by the way, men at 50 who have achieved a lot, they're like, oh, powerful. Well, I'm here to say that women at 50 who feel like they've achieved a lot and have a lot more to achieve, fucking, we also have squeezed out a few puppies, some of us. The rest of us have been bleeding <laughs> out of our cooch for most of our life. We are fucking amazing, right? So just pipe down. Just change your focus. Look at us. <laughs> I want to ask you about this journey that you've taken with clothes and style, you know, your mother, your culture, Saint Laurent, as you're saying, you know, finance, all that stuff. Are there any trends that you've tried to pull off along the way that is that like it's just not happening? Oh, my God. Totally went through a Kate Middleton kind of phase, Sloney, when my kids really? were super young. Yeah, when my kids were super young and I thought, OK, well, that's what I do now. I, you know, I couldn't hack being staying in banking and having children because I'm lame. That was my narrative. Um, so and my husband's still in finance. So a lot of men who are doing well in finance, they have these beautiful wives who are, you know, they're housemakers, homemakers. So they pick wallpapers for the children's room and they, oh, what are they wearing? They're wearing tight fitting jeans, boots, Gucci boots to the knees and like a cashmere sweater and a little blazer. I it was a uniform and I did that. And after a while, I was like, I'm so bored. <laughs> so then I started doing things like I got this guy in Bombay to make this massive bejeweled buckle on a belt. It was like as big as my torso. And so I would wear this outfit and then put on that buckle. And everyone was like, what the fuck are you wearing? And I'd be like, oh, oops. Or I, or, or I started wearing hats. I had all kinds of chapeau. I had all kinds of hats I would buy. I was still trying. But I did have that Kate Middleton Sloney thing going on. Eh, it was fine, but eh. <sighs> <sighs> oh God, I wish I I I can't remember how long we've known. Maybe like six years, seven yeah. years, maybe longer. Yeah. Um, but I every time you describe a different Cinder, I was like, I wish I knew her. <laughs> I wish I knew her, and I do because I know you. But like everyone, I'm like, oh my God, what? And I I they all feel like different women as well, like iconic in their own ways, but like completely different no. women. If you, I could put you in touch with a couple of my friends who've known me the whole time. I'm always the same. Like it's just the outside <laughs> stuff that keeps changing. But me, it's always the same. Um, it, it's always the same. It's the sort of uh, 
yeah, it's, it's this person, but with different clothes or different love interests or whatever, whatever, you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, I want to ask you about what well, I remember your gorgeous jewels that you wear because you have a couple of rings that you wear, and I've, I, I've, they are just the most stunning They're things. All, do you all from do my you mother? Always wear those. Yeah, I always wear this one because my mom told me to wear this, and she said, "I'm giving you this. I have had the prayers done to it. When you wear it, you will be less bitch." I was like, oh, what do you mean? She said, your mood is terrible. You're always whining, shouting at children and telling husband I will get a divorce. I don't want that to happen. So you wear this, you'll be less bitch and everyone else can be happy. So it was to help my mood. So I wear it all the time. And of course I wear it now because as you know, my mother's passed away and all my jewelry is from my mother or my husband. I don't, I, I haven't, you know, mommy wanted me to wear jewelry. That was one thing I never wore a lot of jewelry and she'd get pissed off. Because she would say it's not ladylike and what's the matter with you. So she gave me a lot of jewelry over the years. and um, But left to myself. I'm not wearing bangles. I don't, you know, I wear whatever earrings I have on. I have this all the time. Mm. And then I have a ring I wear when I go to gigs I'm nervous I'll fail at. And it's a ring my mother gave me. Because it always reminds And even when she was alive I wore it all the time. Because it just makes me feel like her blessing is with me. So even if I do badly it's fine. Um, yeah, that's it man. What's this? St- the st- What's in the stone of the one that you're wearing now? This is uh, emerald. Oh my god, it's enormous. <laughs> I know, but as I said to mommy, that's a very big emerald. She said you are a very big bitch. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't realize it was by size, but of bitchiness. But okay. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to start being more of a bitch. So when my engagement <laughs> ring comes, it's what I have in in my mind. Exactly. Yours is like. A bumblebee or a thumb, it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. But also you have to remember emeralds and all these jewels, they come in different qualities. So like this is probably a very, it's, it's not a bad emerald, by the way, but it's not been um, treated and polished to the way yeah. that, you know, uh, that this is still what's what we call raw. So it's expensive, Gorgeous. but it's not like, you know, I don't, I don't know. And it's not a brand. And I don't know. I don't know what it costs. She didn't tell me. She said, I don't mind if I'm a bankrupt as long as you're not bitch. I was like, I don't even know why you're making such a big deal out of it. But okay, I had, yeah, <laughs> mommy. Um, can I ask you about your oldest item of clothing then? Because you're saying, you, I mean, the jacket that you've got there, you've had a few years, but do you, do you hang on to stuff that you love then? Oh, yeah. I have so many. I have the outfit that I wore the first time I went on a date with my husband. Ever, ever. First time I spoke, it was the first time I properly had a conversation with this guy. Um, I have that outfit still. I have, what is the old, so that would be 1996. So do you have that out of sentimental value or because it was a great outfit or both? Oh no, it's an Indian outfit. So I had like six Indian outfits I took with me abroad in case you suddenly had to go to an Indian event. And that was one of them. And then when we got married and it showed up and I was like, oh, look at this. And he was like, you have to keep that. That's so cute. So I kept it. Uh, have you got an item clothing that you can just put on and you immediately feel amazing? Oh, in? yeah. Hun- are you joking? hundred percent. I have a, well, they're both jackets. One is a blue reversible big hoodie type jacket that I took off my son and it says leave me alone at the back and it's navy blue (laughs) Um, and the other is I bought it in a in a in a vintage store in the United States it's a mustard colored 
oversized um, baseball jacket with a massive, it's, it's mustard and it has a black S on it. It's not for Sindhu, but I like to think it's for Sindhu. And it's, it's so outrageous in its color and its oversizedness and then the S. I literally could be going to the opera, oh, forget the opera, the Met Ball, and I'd wear that and I'd feel immediately better. <laughs> I haven't seen it and I really want to see this jacket because it sounds absolutely amazing. <laughs> it is. What's your relationship with shopping then? Do you, is it something you enjoy or is it, do you see it as a chore? Do you do it online? Do you want to do it in person? I used to hate shopping because I didn't have money. So everything was like, can I afford this? Can I afford that? And everything was, you know, and, and the, is there anything more soul destroying than a changing room where you go in with the clothes you want to wear and you wear them and you think, fuck my life, FML. <laughs> Um, by the way, I, ta- I, I recently sent a text to my husband in which I put FML and he's like, what is that? And I'm like, it means fuck my life. And he's like, what a great term. So now he uses it like inappropriate, like at, in situations that are not fuck my life. Like we ran out of my favorite yogurt, FML. I'm like, that's not FML. Let's just go to the store and get some yogurt. FML is for big shit. How can it be I ran out of my kind of yogurt? There's four other kinds of yogurt in the fridge. No, no, I don't eat those. They're FML. It's not FML. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, this is a small digression. So I used to hate shopping. Um, I I like shopping now because I do it online mm. exclusively. I hate going and uh, trying on clothes and taking all the clothes, the changing and then the back. But also I've done that a lot. So, please, you know, I, sometimes you just have had enough. Mm. So I'm lucky enough that I've done that enough just because I've been alive a long time. And also I've shopped. Um. So I now, I have a rule now, which is if I don't love it, I'm not buying it. Ooh. If I don't love it, I'm not buying it. I'm not, I'm, because the, you know, the, we, I don't need more. Mm. And I'm fucking running around in gym clothes the whole day. So I'm not, no, I have to love it. So if I put it on and it's like, yes, I'm like, okay, done. If I put it on and I'm like, yeah, um, uh, no, no, no. And if I put it on and it's anything less than, oh, ma, that, it's to what? Take it off. I think you've just blown my mind. That is such a good way to... Uh, my problem is consumption, and I know it's very bad for the planet. Um, and if I applied your do I love it rule, I would have a lot less. That's such a good, good rule. Do you think about sustainability when you're shopping? Well, did I did have David on. Yeah. So I have, I, okay, so, and I, and, and I say this with absolutely no judgment because my, the circumstances of my shopping have been quite different than many, many people because I did work in finance. Mm. I have never been to Primark. I have never shopped at Zara. My kids, I've shopped for them at Zara because kids get through a lot of clothes. Mm. So every once in a while, um, I try wherever I can to have to take time to think, do I have to buy this here? Mm. Because if I don't, and I think that this business is, Primark had a very strong presence in child labor in India Mm. and really pissed me off. Mm. But I cannot reiterate enough that my mother, had she known what Primark was, would live inside Primark. (laughs) So this is not, there's no shade here at all. You know, it's, 
not it's easy for someone with my resources mm. coming out of finance to have these opinions mm. i don't at all believe that these are opinions that everyone should have i mean who am i gwyneth paltrow <laughs> oops <laughs> can, should, <laughs> should we take that out uh, but even as a student so fast fashion which i have a real bugbear about fast fashion didn't really exist when i was a student you went to charity stores mm. So I dressed myself exclusively from Salvation Army when I first got to the North America. It was great. I had like, because I just, you could buy things for $2. Yeah. And, you know, that was great. We didn't have fast fashion. And now fast fashion exists. And I think fast fashion, of all the ethical things that they, that I care about, fast fashion is the one that I think is a big deal. But I understand why it exists. All I can do is live in it as an example to my girls and you know, so like I say, I shop sometimes at Zara for my younger one because she's growing. It's very difficult for me to keep up. Used to be Gap, mm. you know, and also the whole notion of something being an ethical production. You have to look at the entire supply chain. So there are places that say they're ethical. But if you go all the way down the supply chain, you realize there's always going to be things that are not ethical. So there's no black and white. There's no yes or no. You got to draw a line for yourself and then live inside of that line. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that's that's about my ethical thinking. I have never I don't wear fur or leather like I wear shoes, but in clothing, mm. I don't because I think, well, that's unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> um, I once stood outside of Joseph. We were walking past to start shouting because they have rabbit fur and my husband just left. He was like, I can't even stand here with you. You're crazy. Um, but also he's Danish and, you know, Danes have historically had fur. Mm. So like my mother-in-law has her grandma's fur coat, yeah. but she wouldn't go and buy fur now. Mm. And also now I don't think we really, there's such nice faux fur. Exactly. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, what is the problem? So I have a, I have two friends I'm really close to and they wear fur. And every time they come over, I'm like, if I didn't fucking like you this much, you would be out on your ass and I'd have thrown paint on this shit. <laughs> and they're like, enough now already. Okay, we know. Um, so you draw a line and you live inside of that. And I think the bigger problem for fashion is not is every woman buying fast fashion or not, or is every woman behaving ethically. But the bigger problem, the bigger issue for women in fashion is are women interacting with fashion in a way that frees them, that they can play? Mm. Or is fashion caging them? That's the bigger issue, if I had to pick one. Because I'd be like, you know, fast fashion is bad. China is fucking the earth. So frankly, by getting all white women to shop ethically is not going to change what China is doing just by what they're doing to the planet. Mm. So for the, for the sake of every individual woman, how she feels about fashion and whether it's caging her or liberating her is more what I care about. Mm. It's a very realist approach. Yeah, it is. Again, like you and your ultra pragmatic, like lo the <laughs> yeah. logic that you don't often hear in comedy because, you know, like, but I think it's your background of like, you've you've lived in the real world where people just talk in facts and logic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to back it up. Otherwise, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> so <laughs> what's the best item that you've got either from a charity shop or thrifted secondhand vintage? Uh two things one is that jacket i told you about the big one with the s so good the second is a shirt that my husband bought in a vintage store which is the most it is it is the most 
airy, beautiful, old-fashioned, worn cotton t-shirt. And it has the old Coca-Cola logo. And it's like red. But it's like, if you sneeze at this t-shirt, it'll fall apart. So <laughs> I like to wear it when I'm just hanging out at home, but not like when I'm in my bedroom. So I wear it very little because I don't really hang out in my bedroom. But some days on a Sunday, I make sure everyone's okay. And then I'm like, I'm going to my room. Don't fucking come. I'm just sitting there reading. Then I put it on <laughs> because it reminds me of the 70s. And I was obviously very young, but there's something about that Coca-Cola and that color reminds me of a time when the four of us as a family lived in the same house. It's, it's a time, you know, in your head. And that Coca-Cola and that red just takes me there. And I feel like... Uh, you know, in the last couple of years, in the last 18 months, I've lost my mother and my sister. We've gone from a family of four to a family of two. I'm growing up. The world is changing. My son's going to be 20 at the end of this year. And sometimes you just need to remember where you came from and that life is very, it's a circle. And when I wear that shirt, I feel like that. I'm like, oh, oh, I see. Oh, I remember the beginning of this story, so it's cool. I know it's a crazy thing to say. I probably sound like a lunatic, but I do feel that when I see that shirt. No, I think it's beautiful. I think it's a really... And I think a lot of us have an item of clothing that, that will take us back to a time where I guess things were simpler or safer or just different, a, a different you. And I think that's there's great. there can be great comfort in that. Yeah, my mother used to wear this beautiful Indian, uh, very soft wool uh, salwar which is the pants and this scarf sort of a top which is called a firan and you wear it over your other clothes and she wore it all the time in the winters it's a very light wool um and when she passed away and then i was in the house our house i am um... thank you Vita. sorry we have to pause i'm getting a nice cup of tea here from this lovely boy you are the best there's no ginger by the way it's just oh, that's okay well there is ginger but it's got about three kilograms of mold on it so oh okay even, that's even too natural for you so uh, yeah funny haha <laughs> <laughs> i'm laughing um, i'll see you later okay i love you babu thank you sorry <laughs> oh how nice he made me a cup of tea so um when i went to the house after we were i was there briefly to just clear up her stuff a little bit i found this outfit and my mother my mother always, my mother had a smell and it was, a, she always smelled fresh. So it wasn't powder. She just had, and I smelt it and it was her and I took it. It's the only thing of hers that I took. That and um, I took her glasses that she used to wear. Um, mm. And I brought it home and I put it in my cupboard and every morning I would smell it. And when I had COVID, I would smell it and it smelled of my mother. And I just think, you know, clothes and the things we wear, because in a way, as a Hindu, I do believe that we're also wearing this body. You know, okay, yeah. you know we, yeah. we, we, are, we are all only our souls, whether you're a Christian soul or a Hindu soul, even you guys have, you're not you guys, but Christians have, a, Christians, Muslim, Jewish, we all have an idea of a soul, what the soul does and if it comes back and all is what's under contention. But in Hinduism, it's repeatedly taught to us that just as you discard your clothes one day and wear new clothes, the body discards, the body's discarded like a set of clothes. And I was smelling her clothes the other day and they don't smell of her anymore. They smell of my closet. And I was thinking, you know, that this is what it is, is that we, we will discard what's on the outside and we will move on. And until then, what you have to remember is what's on the inside is what you have to listen for 
That's where the energy is. That's where the creativity is. And what you have on the outside is then a function of that. You know, because now the smell of my mother has left these clothes and they're just clothes. I still smell them, though, because I think maybe it'll come mm. back. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Your style now, which feels so complete and well-rounded and like this is your most evolved Pokemon form. <laughs> but do you see it changing again or can you see... Because also your style is timeless. I could see, a, you know, a 90-year-old Sindhu in this stuff and it will still look fabulous. Or, or can you see yourself getting wilder as you get older or more conservative? I have absolutely no idea. I mean, you... I don't given where I'm coming from and where I've gone and I don't know I really don't know the answer to that <laughs> the, to be fair you, the lives that you I'm like oh, yeah that's a totally fair like what life is next <laughs> you know the only thing I know is that now whatever is the next thing it will be playing it will be fun there will be less angst um, yeah like I want to for the sake of my daughters, I want to really celebrate how I celebrate the time I spend on how I look. I want to celebrate that. I don't want to diminish it. I don't want to pretend. I have lived in every life. I've diminished it. Oh, you know, it's only vacuous women that model. It's only women that don't care about. If you're a serious academic, you can't look hot. You know, I had a I had a professor of law at University of Chicago, Martha Nussbaum. She dressed like she was a Vogue model. It's the hottest thing. I couldn't sit through a lecture without like having to change my underwear afterwards. She was so <laughs> hot. I was like, oh, my God. And I don't mean that in a crass way. I mean, she literally had there was a sexual pull. I don't think she was exerting it. I think it was me. But the point is. Her brain was the most one of the most articulate sharpest brains I've ever come across and I was at the University of Chicago I used to walk past Obama to go to her class <laughs> literally I didn't even care who's Professor Obama who gives a shit it was her class do you know what I mean what a brain yeah what a brain and she dressed like a Vogue model and so I think I want to celebrate the time I spend whatever it is whether it's in the smelly gym clothes or whether it's in something more glamorous I want to celebrate the time I spend on how I dress and how I make myself appear in terms of my clothes and my style, because I think it is something to be celebrated, but I don't think you can celebrate it too early. I think you have to figure it out, but you should know that there's coming a time where we'll just celebrate it. So, you know, to not, because I think the worst thing is to not have hope. So, you know, no matter where you are in your life, if you're feeling like you're not friends with your clothes and your clothes are not friends with you and it's all that self-criticism and self-loathing, which, by the way, I still have a fair amount of self-loathing and a lot of self-criticism. But when 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 we're in that space and it's like I'm my clothing is my enemy, the way I look is mm -hmm. my enemy. You have to know you have to listen to what I've been saying and understand that you can come through it and that there's always hope. I mean, I did it. Fucking Mandy and Abby and and all those years in India. And, you know, I always found the little ways in which to lean into it and do this and do that. And, and we can all do it if we think it's we have good friends and I don't know. But I just think there's a lot of hope 
And you have to remember that women evolve. And I think there's mm. so much pressure on young women to get it right. Well, fuck, they're only 20. They have to fuck up and feel like shit. It's mm. how we figure out who we are. Have you ever seen a caterpillar not look like it's in pain when it comes out of that mm. p- cocoon? They all look like they're about, it's like, ugh, they have all that spit and they're like, oh. <laughs> and you're like, what's happening, you know? So that's what I think. That's a, that's a beautiful metaphor, but also I wish people could see the faces you were pulling as you were acting out a butterfly opening up. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> Is there a night of clothing you can just always see yourself wearing? Shorts. I always wear shorts and okay, a specific item. Let's think a specific item. Yeah, my husband sleeps in the same kind of T-shirt. He has 50 because that's who he is, which my mom used to say, see, he does not even change the T-shirt. You are lucky. He will never change the wife. (laughs) And sometimes when I don't have anything else and they're big for me and they're long and I always wear one of those my whole life, I can see myself wearing one of those. And it says, what does it say in the front? I think it says it's a gray shirt with a white Nike and he has the same shirt just lined up today. He always wears them to sleep. I always exactly the same. 100% exactly the same shirt. I could always see myself <laughs> in one of those. <laughs> That's lovely. Um, are there any trends that you're hoping don't come back? Mm-mm. I think all the trends can come back because those trends were meaningful to somebody. So who should I choose to rob of their trend? (laughs) (laughs) That's the most um, like selfless answer we've ever had. (laughs) But but it's a fact, right? Because I feel like, you know, I had the don't wear panties to university trend. I mean, hello, it was very meaningful to me. But who, who, which demographic should I pick? No, you're right. So, hey, knock yourselves out, (laughs) all of you. (laughs) Final question. Um, What, I don't know if you would be very cremated, but what are you wearing in the the casket? What what is your final outfit? Oh, well, that's very easy because um, I'll be cremated and I'll be wearing a new sari and it's whatever my kids will pick. And... um, I will be wearing red because that's what women who are still married when they pass away and I will not pass away after. I I can't. It will always be before my husband. Well, I cried twice listening back to that episode. Can anyone beat twice? What a woman Sindhu is, um, incredible. I have spent a fair bit of time Googling Yves Saint Laurent catwalk shows from the 90s to try and find a picture of Sindhu, but to no avail. If anyone has any insider knowledge on that, please drop us a message on our Insta or um, drop us an email. Would it be great to reunite her with some of the pictures from that? I've had loads of great feedback on Instagram, actually. Jen said, after Rosie's episode, I love Rosie's style. She's too cool. She is too cool, isn't she? Like, not in a sort of like you know leather jacket uh and can you tell like the strokes leather jacket sunglasses inside cool just a different kind of cool and Gwen Cleon said that she loved the episode what I loved is Rebecca getting contact saying I completely with Rosie on matching face masks to your outfit 
what is the verdict out there from you guys? Is this is this a strong look? Is it is it not for you? Is it too much stress? I try and coordinate a bit. Um but the problem is is that I see I've got a lot of leopard print masks and leopard print is a neutral, so really it goes with everything. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at who you wearing pod. Or if you want to write to us and write something a little bit longer, you can email us on who you wearing pod at gmail.com. We got a really lovely DM on Insta that I'd like to share with you because I think you guys can help. Don't worry, anything we share on here, we make sure we've asked for people's permission. So um this was after Coco's episode and we were chatting about Tammy Girl. I've got a message saying I just wanted to say I agree wholeheartedly with the suggestion that we need something to fill the gap that Tammy Girl left my daughter's 11 and tall and not super skinny but buying clothes that are cut for girls that are basically adult women sized but have yet to develop fully so you know like boobs hips it's really tough and it has such an effect on self-confidence I'd love to be able to put my needle and thread away and have somewhere she could confidently go to on the high street that caters for girls her age with appropriate clothes Thank you very much for raising it. I hope somebody hears and fills the gap in the market. She's just gone to high school and is rocking it, but teen fashion is so not designed for the fuller-figured girl. Absolutely, everything like teen, it was like that when I was growing up. It's I think it's more prevalent now, but it's all sort of like really skimpy crop tops, like stuff I would not have felt comfortable with when I was that age. And And great if you do and you feel empowered to wear it, but like... I was only like maybe a size 12, maybe 12, 14, but like, you know, could definitely, I know it's any size you can wear in a thing, but like, oh, I just didn't feel comfortable. It felt like already fashion was like making me unwelcome. So there you go. Anyone who needs a business plan, start something for young people in that in-between bit who want fashionable stuff but are not built the same as as everyone else and yet aren't in like you know fully grown adults bodies yet um it's a it's a really interesting point to raise I hadn't because I don't have teenagers or, or children I hadn't even thought about that um there you go Business Ideas with Kerry Pritchard-McLean, my new podcast within a podcast. If you've got any recommendations, do get in contact um, because we'll um, we'll read them out in this end bit. Um, we've had such a nice five-star review. I, it's so nice when you guys review the show. I really appreciate it. Um, so this says, I'm not fashion obsessed, but hearing funny people talk about anything they're obsessed with is always insightful and interesting. This is no exception. And Kiri is a delightful host. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to more episodes. This is going right up in my podcast list. Thank you. It means so much. And I love that you guys are reviewing it as well because I'm terrible. I always forget to review shows that I like, but it does make a massive difference for people finding it. Um, now, it's time for me to bang on about a business that I love. And Cinder was talking about her ring, which I will forever call her bitch emerald. <laughs> it got me thinking about ethical jewellery. So this can be really hard to find, but I thought I'd alert you to a brand that makes beautiful pieces and is a B Corp. Now, Give it a Google B Corps. It basically means they're like officially good guys. There's only about 4,000 of them globally. And it's a very sort of high set of criteria you have to complete to become a B Corp. So 
Yala is an award-winning African jewellery brand who makes small batch, high-quality jewellery with collaborators who are paid fairly and use eco-friendly materials. For instance, the thread that they use in the beading is made from old plastic rice and flour sacks. Absolutely amazing. The founder and CEO, Audrey, was born in Kenya and is based in Bristol and splits her time between the two places. And the designs, honestly, they're so beautiful. They're really really stunning um and it's basically uh, an amazing mix of traditional making techniques and really modern designs but not, not modern in that way that like you know when people wear tinfoil it's, it's meant to be modern i mean like contemporary but timeless as well they've got a transparency agreement on their website so you can see what their makers can expect from working with yala even the packaging is great it's beautiful but everything is either reusable or recyclable and or compostable they use vegetable inks and postage and packaging is recyclable too they also offset the carbon emissions of their deliveries incredible that's why they're a b corp so please check them out because audrey and the team are doing amazing things and the pieces they're really beautiful and elegant um you know because i know it's it depends when you're listening to this but christmas is in you know like is in the offing and if you wanted to buy something beautiful that someone would have forever i really recommend the stuff that y'all are making it's gorgeous that is enough of me um we've got a really great chat next week with time's best-selling author and founder of copperfield chris hallinger see you then and thanks for listening is produced by Joe Southard, the artwork is by Mary Phillips, and the music is by Annie Glass. This has been a Little Wonder production.